0: I missed my cue. I forgot to tell you about Children's Church. So the sign's up there. If you have a child, five-year-old through fifth grade, you'd like to take them out that door that's closed right now but about to be open until you're right into the small chapel. Bill and Paul are in there waiting on them. So Children's Church, maybe they've already headed that way, but you're welcome to do that right now. But come back, Parents. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, I'm again reading in verse 11, one of the questions I enjoy asking young people, I don't know if I enjoy it or not, it's just one of the questions I've asked young people is, what is the thing you like least about your friends? And it may apply to adults too, what is the thing you like the least about your friends? And the answer I get most often, I'm not going to ask you to respond because you might not give me the right answer. (laughs) The answer I get answered the most often is, I hate it when my friends are hypocritical. And I think adults would say the same thing. We, We don't like it when people are hypocritical. But I always then ask the question, okay, so what's a hypocrite? You don't like it when your friends are hypocritical. What do you mean by that? Here's the answer. I don't like it when they treat me one way in front of my face and treat me a different way, I find out, behind my back. Have you ever walked into a room where eight people are talking, and as soon as you walk in, they quit talking and look at you? They might have been talking about you. <laughs> Hypocritical. We're going to look at that in this passage this morning. So what's what's a hypocrite? When Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, what he means by hypocrite is the rule of the day was during uh, plays, one actor would play many different parts. In fact, it was often an all-male cast playing male and female parts, and typically playing more than one. And they would hold a mask up, and they would take on the personification of whatever that mask was. If they were supposed to be sad, it would be a sad mask. If they were supposed to be happy, it would be a happy mask. You know, whatever. They were wearing a mask. So that's what it means to be a hypocrite. You can kind of be one day wearing a mask on Monday and wear a different mask on Thursday. And here's why I think people are hypocritical. We really want everybody to like us. So we'll say something to this person that we may not say to that person. And say something to that person we may never catch ourselves saying to this person. Because at the end of the day, we kind of really want everybody to like us. I read a quote this week by a great theologian, A.W. Tozier, said this. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. And that's really the passage we're about to look at. I'm just going to read the first. We're going to go all the way through verse 21. Let me read. Just the beginning of this chapter, verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw himself and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's that all about? Well, this is the wrong message. Paul loved the church at Antioch. Barnabas had been part of starting with Paul, the church at Antioch. And so the wrong picture is getting presented to these Gentile believers, many of them who've just come to faith in Christ and are just growing in their faith in Christ. And so Paul is there. Peter is Cephas. Peter had three names. He was Simon. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus says, you've been known as Simon, but I'm going to call you Cephas, which means translated Peter. So that's who he's talking about, Peter Leader in the first century church. They just had this Jerusalem council. Paul's talked about that in the prior verses in chapter 2. Paul's at Antioch. Peter returns to Antioch and he says, I opposed him to his face. Wow. He does this in front of everybody. He opposes Peter to his face. Why? Because the people in Antioch had seen the wrong picture. The picture that Peter had painted, the picture that Peter had lived out was an incorrect picture. And Paul desperately wanted them to get the right picture. In fact, Paul says he stood condemned. Paul didn't condemn Peter. He was already condemned. Really, he's condemned even by his own words. We'll talk about that in a minute. Peter was living differently than what he had said with his mouth. And he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. He had been part of that Jerusalem council that had basically said, if you come to faith in Christ... You don't have to also become a Jew. Men, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to perfectly keep the Old Testament law so that you can earn salvation. What he was saying is, we add nothing to the cross. It's the cross and Christ alone. But that's not, that's the message Peter would say. But that's not what he was living out, at least in the church at Antioch. He began to hold himself aloof. He, He began to make excuses. What he had been doing was, he had been eating with the Gentiles. These were new converts. He had been eating with them. And that was something totally contrary to Peter's previous nature. But why had he made the change? Well, he had had a vision from God. Peter was a Jew growing up. He knew the Old Testament. The Old Testament had strictly forbidden, eating certain animals that were considered unclean, and even associating with people that were considered unclean. What has God now said? Peter, I've made them all clean. Don't consider unclean what i have determined is clean he's talking about the animals in the sheep that came down but he's also talking about people and peter had taken that message to heart and was living it out he was eating with gentiles in the old peter just to sit beside a non-jew in his mind would have been a sin it had been breaking the old testament law but god has said don't consider unclean something i've considered clean so he's eating with them. but now when he gets the invitation he starts saying um you know, we've got a bridge tournament. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm watching the last episode of The Bachelor or something. He kept coming up with excuses, and he started holding himself aloof for this reason. A different crowd was in town. Some Judaizers had come to town, and the Bible says they're from James. Understand something. James did not send them for this purpose. James had been part of the Jerusalem Council. In fact, Peter, James, and John had agreed with Paul, these four... Pillars now of the church had said, faith in Christ alone. You don't have to add to that anything. In fact, Paul says if you add anything, it becomes an enemy of the cross. And so even though they had said that, these people had been converted under James' ministry, and yet they were still holding to this Jewish faith to say, okay, yeah, you can come to faith in Christ, but you've got to come as a Jew. So you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep perfectly the Old Testament law. They're missing it. So when they come to town, Peter starts holding himself away from the Gentile believers. Why? Because he cared what these people thought. Even though he didn't agree with their theology and their doctrine, he cared about their opinion. He knew what had happened to Paul. Paul was being attacked by these people, and Peter's probably thinking, I don't want to be a part of that. So he holds himself away from that, and Paul calls him out. In fact, the bad thing is the rest of the Jews had started following his lead. And not only just the rest of the Jews, Barnabas, of all people, had started following the lead of Peter. And you may think, why wasn't Peter setting an example? (laughs) The problem is he was setting an example. It was a bad one. A few years ago when my kids were younger, we got in the van. And I wasn't used to driving my wife's van, so I didn't just automatically put my seatbelt on. We're driving down the road, and we had preached this to our kids. As soon as you get in, first thing you do, put your seatbelt on. Got to be safe. Well, I'm driving down the road. One of my kids hollers out from the back of the van. Dad, you're not setting an example. My daughter said, oh, yes, he is. He's setting a bad example. (laughs) Well, that's exactly what Peter was doing. He was setting a bad example. He was giving a wrong picture. He had the right belief, but he had the wrong behavior. Last week, we looked at just the opposite of that. The right behavior, but the wrong belief. Well, today, we're looking at the right Belief, but he's not living the belief he testified to. And even Barnabas has been carried away. And Paul says, when I found, when I discovered, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. In other words, they were deviating. The gospel is not only true, the gospel is the truth. He said, when I saw they weren't acting that way, I called out Peter in the presence of all. And you may think, why didn't you just privately take Peter aside? And coach him up a little bit. And this is really a principle for the church in our day. In fact, Augustine said this. It is not advantageous to correct in secret an error which occurs in public. And I think there's people out in the world that see sin happen within the church. If it's not dealt with, they just assume, well, I guess it's okay. Maybe they dealt with it privately, kind of swept it under the rug. Paul does the right thing. This was a public sin. This was something that everybody knew about, and so he addresses it in the front of everybody. He's not condemning Peter. He's simply calling him on the carpet to behavior that's detrimental to the church. You see, before salvation, we're all equally sinners in the eyes of God. After salvation, when you come to faith in Christ, we're all equally righteous. Righteous. In the sight of God. There aren't some that he looks at and says, Well, I kind of going to show favoritism to you. You're a little more righteous than the next person. And yet, folks, even in the church in America, we have made distinctions among ourselves. Be real careful. So he sent the wrong message. But then it gets kind of practical. What's the message explained then? Paul is going to tell you. Paul says, We're Jews by nature, They're, and we're not sinners from among the Gentiles. What's he talking about? Paul's saying the people he's addressing, Peter, but also these other people that are following him, he said, yeah, I get it. We were born Jews. That was our nature. For a Jew, the Gentiles were not, they were just, they called them sinners because they didn't have the law. The Jews considered, well, we've got this legal system set up so that we're really not considered sinners. Even though we still sin, we have even a method in place to be forgiven of sin. Gentiles didn't have any of that. So they were just viewed as sinners. But listen to this knowing that we're not justified by the works of the law. That was a huge turning, part, turning point in Jewish thought. Let me finish reading the passage. Verses 15 through 18. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles, nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even when we believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, folks, i got to tell you, these next two points, you're going to need a toothpick at the end of it, because there's a lot of meat here. And I'm hoping some of it sticks. Paul's teaching an incredibly important doctrine. It's the doctrine of justification. It's the doctrine of being pronounced righteous. What Paul says is, we know, we've come to understand, you cannot be justified by works of the law. In other words, I cannot perfectly keep all the hundreds of Old Testament laws, not only the ones that were in the Old Testament, but the ones that the Pharisees had added to those to help them keep the law. You cannot be justified that way. You will never face God someday. Them say, well, you kept all the law. No. Anybody here want to acknowledge, we're sinners. If anybody here says, I've never broken one, of, even one of the Ten Commandments, let's just reduce it to that. That's not possible. And yet there were hundreds of Old Testament laws that had to do with dietary customs and relationships and relationship to God, relationship to your fellow man. And I get, there's still people who kind of go through life thinking, well, I think I'm pretty good, though. I think some people honestly think you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And you're going to say, well, you let her in. They don't judge on the curve when you get to heaven. They don't decide, well, you know, all right. As long as you're better than the lowest common denominator, it don't work that way. And I've often thought, you know, okay, let's say we're a pretty good person. Let's say there's only like three times a day that you think the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or say the wrong thing. Multiply that times 365, you get close to a thousand, just rounding. You live 70 years, you show up to God with 70,000 sins. You really want to get into heaven based on that? So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I tried that. I kept the law about as good as you could possibly keep the law. If you read Paul's testimony, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. He had kept the law, but he knew he hadn't kept it perfectly. So by being a good person, and is it wrong to be a good person? No, God's called you to good works, but your good works will never earn you salvation. You're never going to be pronounced right with God based on Good works. But how are we? Pronounced right with God. We're pronounced right with God's here. By faith in Christ Jesus. You come to Jesus and acknowledge, I'm a sinner. And understand that Christ died in your place. The penalty of sin was paid on the cross. You place faith in Jesus. Let me explain that word. What do we mean when we say faith? In my early days of ministry, and people have heard me share this illustration before, I would pull a chair up on stage and say, okay, you all demonstrated faith when you came in today. You placed faith in that chair, didn't you? Did anybody check their chair out before they sat in it? Nobody? Seriously, I mean, you didn't like test it to make sure it was going to hold you? What, you just plopped down in it, right? Well, have you ever gone to sit in a chair that didn't hold you? Yeah, maybe it broke, or maybe you had a brother like I did. You know, I should have known when my brother's pulling the chair out, sit here. You know, <laughs> you go to sit down, and the chair's not there when you go to sit down. But you know what? That's really not faith. That's more about trust. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11. One. And so I've struggled with how do I illustrate faith? And some people say, well, I guess it's just blind faith. No, it's not that either. In fact, God gave me an illustration. I've shared this before in this place. I was over at the Walmart off 544, and there was a, used to be a Chinese restaurant there. Now it, it became something else. Now it's a Japanese restaurant. I was trying to walk across the parking lot to get into that restaurant to meet somebody, and there's cars doing this. I noticed a lady who was obviously visually impaired walked out and just stopped on the side of the sidewalk, and I thought, if she takes another step, they're going to hit her. Cars are just going, and she just stood there. And I'm thinking, I need to get across this traffic to stop her and say, Ma'am, wait, let me help you across the road. But I couldn't because cars are coming. And she didn't. She never crossed until the two ladies she was eating with came out and one grabbed one side of her arm and the other one grabbed the other side of her arm. And as soon as they did, she stepped out. Why? Because she knew these ladies are not going to lead me to get run over by a Mack truck. Why? Because she knew these ladies. That's where faith in God is. When you know God, it's about belief that God has your best interest in heart. That maybe you can't see what's down the road, but you know God does. You don't know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. So Paul says, we place faith in Christ Jesus. When you're keeping the law, who is your faith in? You're facing you. If I'm just going to be a good enough person, even if I'm trying just to be better than the next guy, I'm putting faith in the fact that I, by my own effort, can earn God's favor. Listen to me, men and women. If that's your plan, you need to get a better plan. Because it ain't working. The reason for the Old Testament law was this. It was a schoolmaster. It showed them how desperately they needed a Savior. The law pointed out need. Jesus came to fulfill that need and actually perfectly fulfill the law and paid the penalty for sin. So we're justified by faith, not by works of the law. No flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be found justified in Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ a minister of sin? Here's what Paul's saying. You don't earn justification you don't earn righteousness it's really a judicial act you are pronounced righteous and god does not pronounce you righteous based on keeping the old testament law in fact if you look at hebrews 11 it talks about righteous men and women and it said their righteousness was demonstrated by behavior but it was founded in their faith hebrews 11 is just the hall of faith men and women throughout the old testament history who God counted it unto them as righteous because of their faith in holy God. It's never been about keeping the law. So in case you're not getting it, Paul repeats it, no flesh, no person, no human being will ever be pronounced right by God by keeping the law. The only way that the pronouncement comes down, the, the gavel falls, is this. Have you ever placed faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, then you're right before God. And Paul then comes back to the picture that Peter had been painting, and he said, if we have returned to this idea that hanging out with Gentiles is now all of a sudden a sin, have we made Christ a minister of sin? What's he talking about? Jesus is the one that has said, it's not a sin to eat this food anymore. It's not a sin to associate with Gentiles. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus did, and some of these same Jews had pointed at him and said, sinner, you're hanging out with unclean people. Jesus touched unclean people. He healed people that were unclean. And so if we're going to say Jesus, basically you're putting the Judaizers against Jesus. Do we trust them and follow them or do we follow Jesus? Paul's saying, listen, they're wrong. Quit following them. Quit caring what they think. Care more about what God thinks and about what Jesus said, for if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul said, listen, this system that we used to live by has been dissolved. It's been destroyed. It's been brought down. Why are you picking the blocks up and building it again? That's exactly what Peter had been doing. In fact, I talked to somebody about this last week. Luther loved the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, changed Martin Luther's life. One of the quotes is this. He claimed that justification by faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. That's how important it is. Last thing. The message in real life. I like to end this way, but that's the way Paul ends this chapter. So how do we live this out? How does it get practical? Okay, we get it. We live by faith in Jesus Christ, and it's Christ alone. It's God's word alone. So let me read these last few verses. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's deep. And folks, we need to preach this to ourselves every day. How do we live the Christian life? Paul said, I have died to the law. In fact, he identifies with Christ so much, he says, I was crucified with Christ. Literally hung, nailed to a cross in company with Christ. And yet Paul says, but yet I live. But not I live, but Christ lives in me. You want to know the secret of living the Christian life? Well, it's really not a secret. It's just a lot of people don't get it. It's plain. You live the Christian life every day by faith in Christ. We have become dead. Dead men, dead women walking. God's still got a plan for our life. We're still alive on planet earth. But folks, we're not living the life anymore through our power. There's a Christian song that came out a few years ago that I struggle with because the song basically said, I pray my strength won't fail. Well, taking on face value, I'm thinking, your strength has already failed. I pray his strength doesn't fail. And it doesn't. And my prayer is, God, don't just give me strength. Be my strength. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm dead. I'm crucified. How much can a dead person do? Nothing. Can a dead person keep the law? No. But what can Christ do through you? He can accomplish everything He intends to accomplish through you. As long as you quit picking the the reins up to your life and try to live like you're not crucified. In fact, Paul said elsewhere, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. What does that mean? That means you've received Christ Jesus crucified. You're a dead man walking. So how do I live now? I walk that way every day. I'm crucified. It will change the way you live your life. It'll change relationships. Husbands and wives. I'm crucified in Christ. Men struggle with this at times. Well, my wife's not meeting my needs. Well, are you approaching marriage as if you're a dead man? If you are, then you sacrifice for her. Wives, same thing. If we approach marriage as if I'm I'm a dead person. I've given up my right to myself. And now I'm allowing God to live through me. It'll affect the way you treat your parents. It'll affect the way you treat your kids. It'll affect the way you treat your classmates in school, other members of the youth group, other members of the church, for crying out loud. You ever been to a church where everybody just wanted to get their own way? Don't anybody raise your hand. I'm sure that none of those churches are represented here, but I hear far, far away in other galaxies. No, I'm just kidding. You can go to church, folks, where it's all about you. You're not walking as a crucified person. You're walking as somebody who feels entitled that you got to meet my needs. Christ says, I now live by faith in the Son of God. Check this out. Who loved me? Jesus loved you enough to give his life for you. That's agape love, unconditional love, love without strings attached. God demonstrated his love, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the meat of this passage, and everything Paul says has to direct back to what Peter was acting like. Peter, you've come to faith in Christ. Quit picking the law back up, and quit even pretending like you're keeping the law just so these people will like you, because you're sending the wrong message. you got the right belief, but you're showing it by wrong behavior. Paul lastly says, I don't nullify the grace of God. How would he do that? Folks, if you start trying to live as though you're justified and pronounced righteous based on the law, then you have said what Jesus did on the cross was ineffective. It wasn't enough. And it was enough. It was Christ alone. And so you nullify the grace of God. By saying I've got to add something to the cross. And that's what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were saying, yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I'm saved through faith in him, but I've got to do this too. And Peter had at least temporarily picked that mantle up and run with it himself. So how about us? Folks, if we could be good enough to earn God's favor, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. There were hundreds of years of Old Testament proof. Go check it out that nobody could ever be pronounced righteous based on their behavior. That's why Jesus was sent to die on the cross. When Jesus prayed in the garden the night before being crucified, he said, Father, if there's any other way for this cup to pass from me, then let's do it that way. But not my will, but your will be done. He prayed it repeatedly in the garden for a period of hours. And yet he knew when he stood up where he was going. He's going to the cross. Why? Because he loved you. And he obeyed the Father that much. You're saved by grace. And Jesus died on the cross for a reason. It's because there was no other way. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Check yourself for a moment. If you face God today and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Are you going to show him your resume? Are you going to say, hey, let's just show you some clips, God. I was at church today. Is it going to be anything about your behavior, or is it all going to be because of Jesus Christ? God, I don't deserve salvation, but I have placed my faith in Christ who paid my penalty himself, and I've been pronounced right with God because of Jesus, because of my faith there. That's what I'm banking on and nothing else. Father, may we get that. God, if we got to go back and reread the passage, help us to get to the point where we understand the truth of the gospel message because it really is good news. Help us to live it this week and help us to show it to others. In Christ's name, amen.